going to be in Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Luke 4. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses 14 through 30 today, continuing our study here through the book of Luke. Uh, looking forward also to next week. Next week we get a chance to talk a little bit about Jesus' ministry there. We're going to get into some ideas of the healing and casting out demons, which will kind of be an interesting topic as we talk about his ministry. But what we have here today in Luke chapter 4 is we have this beginning of Jesus' really public teaching ministry in Nazareth. Now, if you've been following along with us here through our study in the book of Luke, uh, Luke starts off by introducing us to John the Baptist and his parents and Jesus and obviously Mary and Joseph. And then last, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago was the baptism of Jesus, which was his first real public, if you will, appearance there as the Messiah. And then last week, we talked about him being tempted and then tested in the wilderness. So what we have here now is now that he's gone through the baptism, he's gone through the tempting and testing in the wilderness, he's now beginning the public ministry in Galilee and Nazareth. So now he's beginning the teaching ministry, starting to call his disciples, and this will go on for about three years now. So let's see what happens here and what goes on. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So now we have this beginning of his ministry. I find this kind of interesting because the way Jesus does his ministry, you see this here in verse 15, is he teaches. Now, I have nothing against teaching. I love teaching. That peeve of mine is, I think, the importance of teaching and getting into God's word. But when you look at this from the perspective of Christ. You wouldn't you think that you could get a whole lot more attention if you just constantly were raising the dead, healing lepers, and casting out demons. I think you could get a much bigger following. You could hang up posters and it say seven o'clock. Some kids, some come see the dead raised or something like that. This really, from a PR perspective, is not the best way to get your message across. But this is what he chooses to do. And this is something that Christ chooses to do throughout the entire book of Luke, is the way he communicates his message is teaching the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are there to point people towards Christ. The signs and wonders are there to reaffirm his teaching. But his primary message of proclaiming who he is is always done through teaching. And I believe this is an important point for us to see. Teaching is what draws people to God. Now, I'm all for worship. I love worship. I love the time of worship. But teaching is what's going to draw us deeper in our walk in relationship with the Lord. I'm all for service. I'm all for fellowship. All those elements are such an important part of our Christian walk. But when it comes to a Sunday morning, we'll give you time for corporate worship. We'll give you an opportunity to serve. We'll give you an opportunity for fellowship. But the primary purpose of us coming together on a Sunday morning is to teach and to be taught. So that way when we leave, we go out and take the information that is given to us. It impacts us personally. And then we go tell people about Christ. That is what we're trying to do. And that's the purpose of the teaching, is to uplift us, encourage us, and take us deeper. Turn, if you will, please, to Luke chapter um, 24. Let's build on this for a second. This is actually a fulfilled prophecy, as you're going to Luke 24, that Jesus would teach. In John 6, it talks about this, because one of the prophecies concerning the Messiah is that the Messiah would actually come and teach the people. And that's what Christ did. Luke 24, 
An interesting thing about teaching is, and I think a lot of the reasons why we look down a little bit upon teaching is to be quite honest, it comes across sometimes as boring. You've sat under teaching and you've heard sometimes those teachers and it just is dry, it is pointless, it gets old. That's why I think teaching needs to be, I don't know if the word is necessarily fun, but it's engaging where you really stop and look at what these passages are saying. My personal opinion, when you look at the way Jesus taught, people were mesmerized by the way he taught. We just read there that all eyes were fixed on him. Christ, when he taught, he taught, as the Bible says, with authority. And and I've heard people teach before, and they've taught, and their points are proper, their points are correct, but they're not teaching with authority. And so you kind of walk away from that teaching thinking, I don't know really what I got out of it. And I've heard people get up there and try to teach with authority, but then their points are nowhere biblical. You need to have this balance of teaching God's word, getting to the scripture, but also being called and led to do that. And when you're called and led to do it, it's a beautiful combination that comes together, and it really impacts people. Jesus is the best example of this. What you see here in Luke 24, you have the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Real quick background, what happened here is this is after Jesus rose from the dead. Two disciples are walking, and as they're walking, they're talking about the events that are going on and wondering what everything that happened. Well, they run into Jesus. Except they don't know it's Jesus. Verse 16 of Luke 24. And their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Well, in verse 17, Jesus says, a loaded question, what are you guys talking about? So for the next couple of verses, the guys are saying, haven't you heard? There's this guy, Jesus, and he did this and he did that. And they're trying to figure out who Jesus is. So as they're talking to Jesus, not knowing that he is Jesus, trying to figure out who Jesus is, verse 25. Then he, meaning Christ, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When Jesus met disciples that were trying to put this all together, what did Jesus do to show himself the Messiah? Verse 27, he taught them. Now couldn't he have said in verse 27, you want to know who Jesus is? Okay, here's a puddle. Watch me walk on it. Look, there's, there's a dead bird. I'll raise it from the dead real quick. Couldn't he have done something just to say, look, I can pull a rabbit out of my head? Only, only the Messiah could do that. No, when he wanted to show them that he was the Messiah in verse 27, he taught them. What happens as a result of this, verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he had gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them. He took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? What makes your heart burn for more of the Lord? Scriptures. That's what it is. Now once again, that sounds boring. When somebody comes to me and they say, I'm a little dry spiritually, what should I do? Well, how's your devotional life with the Lord? Not real good. Well, let's start there. Well, I read it, and I don't get anything out of it, and I find it really boring, I don't understand it, etc. Listen, it's the scriptures and the teaching that's going to create that fire in your heart to desire more of God. I've seen people try to go deeper in their walk through other things. I'm just going to keep serving. I'm going to hit every fellowship opportunity. I'm going to always be in worship. Those things are wonderful, but those things will not create a fire in you for more of the Lord. The scriptures and the teaching is what do that. Jesus set the example by saying, the way I'm going to present to people who I am is through teaching. Once again, we'll get to the signs and wonders, but he set the bar with the idea of teaching as how people are going to come to know who we are, and that's the same thing we try to continue today. See, here's the thing with the signs and wonders. Once you set the bar, you have to do something to keep topping it. 
again and again and again, as we've talked about that. You know, once you heal one leper, if Jesus would say, okay, I'm going to heal a leper to prove you the Messiah, well, then another crowd comes, and they're going to say, well, we've already seen the heal the leper trick. Can you do something else? See, that's the fun thing. My boys love the, the magic show type stuff. They love that type of fascination with it. And so what happens, though, is once they see the trick, they want to see something new. Well, you've already seen the one trick. Why would you want to see it again? I've seen you heal one leper, Jesus. Can you raise somebody from the dead? Okay, I've seen you raise somebody from the dead now. Can you do something else? You always have to top it. I read about a church one time that was on the West Coast, and uh, it was Easter service. And as you know, when it comes to Easter services with churches, everybody's always packed and booked and everybody comes. So you try to throw out the best you can on Easter to try to impress everybody. Well, this church decided to do something that would be really noteworthy. So their Easter service, what they did is they had the pastor drive out to the pulpit on the stage on a motorcycle just to kind of get everybody's attention. Well, that was a real hit. Everybody started talking about what's he going to do this year. So the next year, him and his wife drove out on motorcycles together. And so each year they kept trying to, because you have to one-up it. I mean, that's just the problem with these type of things. Well, eventually, and this is the last I heard, the last I heard they were renting an elephant, and I'm not kidding, to come out to the pulpit on an elephant for Easter service. See, that's the thing. You have to keep topping it once more. See, with Jesus, he says, I'm here to teach, and as I teach, that teaching will point people towards me. I tell you guys, stick to the word. When you stick to the scriptures, that's what changes your life, and that's what changes other people's lives. That's what creates the burning in you for more of the Lord. So what we have here is Jesus. He comes to the synagogue, and the way it worked back during Bible times is you would show up at the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there would usually be a uh, rabbi there that would then do a reading of Scripture, maybe with a little bit of explanation. Now, if you were kind of new to the area, if you were of age, they would look at you and say, hey, is there anything that you want to share? So Jesus is coming back to Nazareth, as you see in verse 16. This is where he was raised. So Jesus is back. Hey, Jesus is back in the synagogue. Hey, Jesus, we're getting ready here to start. Do you want to share something? Do you want to read? Sure. So it just happens that Jesus is in Nazareth at this time. It just happens that they ask him to read. It just happens that it happens to be the book of Isaiah. And it just happens that the part that they're going to read happens to be Isaiah 61, which just happens to be a prophecy concerning the Messiah. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the scripture. So then what he says, verse 20, sits down, closes the book. Here's his explanation, verse 21. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a big statement. That statement is, I'm fulfilling this. He's basically saying, I am the Messiah. Now, let's look at verses 18 and 19 before we look at how the people responded. If you're looking for a mission statement of Jesus, verses 18 and 19 are that mission statement. There's six things in here that the Messiah is going to do. Let's look at them. The first one. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The Messiah has come to preach the gospel. What's the word gospel means? The gospel means good news. Who is he preaching it to? The poor. Now what does that word poor mean? That, that word poor actually means a lot of different things. That word poor can mean financially poor. This idea that these people were, were literally poor and that the gospel is coming to them saying, listen, wealth is not your answer in life. Your answer is found in Jesus Christ. Have you ever met somebody where money's tight? And they always make these comments, boy, if I could just get out from another's debt, everything would be better. Boy, if I could just get a little bit better paying job. Boy, if I could just do this. I've heard people say, I don't need a lot of money. 
if I just had a little more money? No, the answer is found in Jesus Christ. He's the one that teaches the gospel there. What's this also word poor mean? Well, it looks like it also can maybe refer to poor in the sense of uh, um, poor in, in, in your spiritual resources, that you need Christ, that you need him, and that he's come to preach the gospel to those that need him. Look at the next one here. He comes to heal the brokenhearted. What's it mean to be brokenhearted? Well, you know what that means. Some of you are brokenhearted here today. Brokenhearted means that you are just, life is tough. I mean, life is really difficult, be it physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And so your heart is just broken. You are struggling with life. What's the Messiah come to do? The Messiah has come to heal you, to help you get through life. Next one, liberty to the captives. What's it mean captive? Captive to what? Captive to sin. This idea that Christ comes, set you free from sin. Now, here's the thing about sin. Sin is powerful. Sin can grab a hold of us, and it can hold on to us. And what the Messiah does is sets us free from that. You know, there's a whole another teaching on this in Romans 6 and 7 where it talks about because Jesus died, we can die to sin. Because sin's got these claws that dig into us and won't let go. Have you ever been this spot in life? I've been there where you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. You know you're doing what you shouldn't be doing, and you know you should stop. And there's a part of you that wants to stop but yet you just keep on doing it. You're, you're feeling this argument escalate. You're feeling the tension build. And in your heart, you're saying, just shut up. Not to the other person, to yourself. Just be quiet. Just just don't. Don't go there. Don't say it. Just let it go. Be, be the mature one here. And as you're telling yourself to do it, your mouth is just opening, saying things you shouldn't be saying. You're held captive to that sin of anger. Or maybe you're, you're watching TV and something comes on that's not appropriate. And you're like, I, I, I switch the station. I should switch the station as you keep watching. I don't want to watch this. I really don't want to see these images. This is not something I want to do. But yet you're held captive to that. Sin is a very powerful thing. And when we allow ourselves to be taken in by it, it takes root in us and it won't let go. Rich just taught a couple weeks ago on Cain and Abel. And there's this great verse about Cain where God tells Cain that sin is waiting for you at the door and its desire is for you. Sin wants to entrap you. It wants to bring you down. It wants to make you captive. What's the Messiah do? He brings liberty. Some of you are here this morning, and you have struggled with sins a lot of your life. And there are certain things that you thought, I will never be able to move past. And now looking back in your spiritual life, amen, God set you free from that. Some of you are sitting here today, and you're saying, okay, why can't he do that for me? You're still held captive. I'm here to tell you that Christ has come to give you liberty. It's a battle, you bet, but he's come to give you liberty. Look at the next one. Recovery of sight to the blind. Now, could this mean literally blind? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things the Messiah did, isn't it? He healed the blind. There's at least three instances in the gospel of Christ healing the blind. Maybe it's also talking spiritually, the blind as well. I think it can mean both. One of the things that the Messiah was going to do, he was going to do miraculous miracles that could not be explained. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, leprosy was in the Old Testament. And what happened is, according to the law, they gave rules on how to be clean from leprosy. If you found yourself cleared from leprosy, you're supposed to go to the priest and do X, Y, and Z. The problem is there was not a cure for leprosy. So God wrote into the law what you were supposed to do when you were cured from leprosy, but there was never a way to be cured from leprosy. So now what happens in the New Testament? Well, Jesus is healing lepers left and right. So what these lepers are supposed to do, according to the law, is they're supposed to go to the priest, and as they go to the priest at the temple, they're supposed to say, look, I've been cleaned of leprosy. Now the point of this is the priest is supposed to look at this person and say, that's not possible. There's only one way you can be cured of leprosy, and the only way you can be cured of leprosy is if you're healed. And the only one that can heal you of leprosy is the Messiah, and so therefore, if you're healed from leprosy, that means that the Messiah is the one that healed you. And the lights were supposed to come on. They were supposed to go from being blind to now seeing the Messiah. That's the purpose of signs and wonders and miracles. It points you towards 
Christ. There's also the element of spiritually blind. Do you know somebody who's spiritually blind? They just don't want the Lord. See, this is the problem with Christianity. We have a tendency to preach the wrong message. We have a tendency to go to the world and say, you know what? We have something that can fulfill that God-shaped hole in your heart. We have something that can take you out of the depression of your life. We have somebody that can fix your broken heart. We have somebody that can help you through life because your life is miserable without the Lord and you need Jesus and we can help you. You know what the world says to that? I don't think my life's that bad. I got a nice house. I got a nice family. I got a nice job. I got good health. I don't know this whole depressing hole you're talking about. I'm not crying myself to bed at night. I'm playing with my boat. I'm not having a bad life here. Well, the problem is they're blind. They're on a path to hell and they don't even realize it. See, the Messiah comes to give sight to that, to say the veil needs to be lifted. Yes, there are some people out there that are depressed and discouraged and they need Christ and they're at the bottom of the pit and they realize, I need the Lord. But there's also people that don't even realize they need Christ. They're blind to that. That's what the Messiah does. And the last one, he brings liberty to those that are oppressed. What's it mean to be oppressed? It means to be burdened. What's the difference between burdened and being held captive? Captive is talking about sin. When you're oppressed and you're burdened, burdened by what? By you. I don't know how many times people have called me up or come into my office and they lay out their life before me and they're overwrought, they're overwhelmed. And I say, let's give these things to the Lord. And they say, okay. So we pray about it. Give it to the Lord. And I give them all the same verses. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Matthew 6. Don't worry. And all this other type of stuff. As soon as we get done praying, what do they do? They start talking about the same burden again. They never give it over to the Lord. They are oppressed. And why are they oppressed? They're oppressed because they choose to carry that burden. They choose to do it. They, they, it's an element of lack of faith where they don't trust the Lord to fix the problem. And so therefore they have to carry the burden because obviously God's not fixing it quick enough. i got to do it. I had somebody tell me one time when I said, don't worry. And they said, well, if I don't worry, who's going to worry about it then? Well, maybe no one needs to worry about it. Just give it to the Lord. A lot of times we're oppressed and burdened because... We put it on us. Parents, do you have a kid that's not walking with the Lord? Don't carry that burden on your shoulders. Let the Holy Spirit speak to their heart. Do you have a loved one that's not saved? Don't carry that burden. Do you know someone who's hurting? They're, they're held captive. They're, they're brokenhearted. And, and you have to fix them? I mean, you, you have to fix them. No one else is going to fix them. That's a burden you're choosing to put on yourself. You have to give that person over to the Lord. The Lord says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He takes that oppression that we put on ourselves. He says, I carry it for you. And the last thing the Messiah is going to do, verse 19, he's going to proclaim that he's here. That's what he did. And that's exactly what Christ did in verse 21. Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He goes, the Messiah is here. How do they respond? Verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And he said, is this not Joseph's son? Basically, verse 22, highly paraphrased in my opinion. Oh, isn't this nice? Jesus is back. Jesus was a good little boy. You remember how good little boy Jesus was? He used to play with my kids. He's back. Isn't this nice? Is this not Joseph's son? They didn't get it. They just thought it was neat that Jesus is back in Nazareth and here he is. He's a man now and he's talking about the scriptures. Isn't this a neat little thing? Verse 23, he said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard you do in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. There was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent to his, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Verse 23, he comes out and says, Listen, I know what you're thinking. And you're basically thinking, You heard what I did in Capernaum. 
and now you want me to do it now. What he's basically saying is you're not accepting the fact that because I read you verses 18 and 19 and I tell you the Messiah, you're not accepting the teaching to let you know I'm the Messiah. You want some type of magic show, verse 23, and then you'll believe. And he says, I'm not going to do it. See, what did he do in Capernaum? Well, see, Luke doesn't talk about it, but John does. And John 2 and 3, we know that Jesus cleansed the temple, we know he turned water into wine, and we know he did many signs and wonders. See, what Jesus is saying in verse 23 is, you want me to do some type of trick. And once I do the trick, you'll say, oh, wow, now, now we think you're the Messiah. And then what you're going to do is you're going to go call your friends and family and say, guess what, Jesus is here. Guess what I just saw him do? He changed water to wine. So now, now bring, bring the friends. So the friends come. Now, Jesus, do something else. No, don't do water to wine. We've already seen water to wine. Can you do something else this time? Jesus said in verse 23, he goes, I'm not doing it. I am not doing it. I am here to teach and to tell you I am the Messiah. You accept that or you don't. The signs and wonders are here to point you towards me. It's not some little magic show. It's not. And this is the problem with Christianity. It's sometimes we have turned the gospel message into a show. And we got to make it amazing and great and exciting because the truth of the gospel, the words of the gospel, are not good enough on their own. we got to flare them up with other stuff. Now, I'm not opposed to certain things. I'm not opposed to little video clips. We do that type of stuff sometimes. I'm not opposed to this or that. All those things have a place, but nothing takes the place of just simply teaching the Word of God and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's what Peter did. That's what Paul did and James and John, and it's fruitful. It works. And Jesus said in verse 23, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to resort to the tricks just to get your attention. He comes out and says in verses 25 and 27, he goes, you guys are acting just like Israel's always acted. Anytime a prophet came to you, you rejected that prophet, and what did the prophet do? went to the Gentiles. And when the prophet went to the Gentiles, God moved and worked. He goes, you Jews are always rejecting me. So therefore the gospel message will then go to the Gentiles. Well, them are fighting words, verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. They got it, verses 28 and 29. They knew exactly what Jesus was trying to say. They were offended. They were bothered. See, this is the thing. We sit here and we debate, who was Jesus? Was he God? Was he not? These guys back in verses 28 and 29 knew exactly what Jesus was claiming and what Jesus was saying, and it made them mad. So what were they going to do? Well, they're going to kill him, filled with wrath. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that the world's response always? When you say or do something that I do not like, my, my response is always anger. Now, their anger is the, the nice little guy that used to, to work with them, Jesus, that they've known since he was a kid, they take him to the city, take him to the cliff, and they're going to throw him over the cliff. Now, I find verse 30 fascinating because it just doesn't happen now. It happens in other points of the gospel where there's this mob mentality and the mob is going to kill Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus just slips out. I don't get it. There's, there's certain miracles that I've always wanted to see in the Bible, and you've heard me make jokes about it. I, I want to see Charlton Heston part the Red Sea. I want to see different things like that. I want to see this. I want to see this mob, verse 29, they're manhandling God. I don't think they simply said, hey, Jesus, could you walk up with us to the cliff, please? The Bible makes it clear. Thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill. They're going to kill him. And I don't know what happens. I don't know how it works, and that's why I want to see it. Verse 30, he just leaves. Makes you wonder. I mean, does he freeze everybody for a second? He just walks out. And they wake up and they're like, where did the Messiah go? Is this some Jedi mind trick? I don't know what it is. There's something here that happens in verse 30, and I don't get it, and I want to get it. But he leaves. You know why? 
Because he didn't come down to the earth to spend 30 years on earth and get thrown off a cliff. He came to spend 33 years on the earth and die on the cross. They were not going to kill him at some cliff. That was not his calling and mission. This is something we're going to get to at the end of the book of Luke, but we need to make sure we stress it now. Jesus died on the cross because he chose to die on the cross. He said it is finished. We have this mentality of Jesus being beat and burdened and bloodied and the cross taking his life. Jesus gave up his life. He said it is finished. So he did not come to be thrown off a cliff. He came to purposely, willingly give his own life on the cross for your sin and my sin. So he basically saw the cliff thing and said, nope, this is not my calling. This is not my time. I'm leaving. So he left. Now, what we need to do, though, is because Jesus here is mentioning he's the Messiah. This is big. I mean, he comes right out and says in verses 18 and 19, once again, this is the mission statement of the Messiah. This is your calling and my calling. We need to look at verses 18 and 19 one more time here and take a look at this. We need to look at this at a personal level and also at a practical level when it comes to us. Look at the first one. To preach the gospel to the poor. Are you poor? Start with us first. Are you materialistically poor? Is your life so focused on what you have, or maybe I should rephrase, is your life so focused on what you don't have that it's hard for you to look to Christ? Because you're always focusing on what everybody else has and what you don't have. Jesus said, I'm here to give you the good news of the gospel, which is free and which is also priceless. We have to let go of the material things of this world. Maybe you know somebody like that. They're so focused on the things of the world, they need to realize Jesus is the only thing that helps them and sustains them and gets them through. Haven't you ever met that person that just needs one more toy? Just needs one more thing and they'll be happy and they'll be fulfilled. My goodness, it's the gospel of Christ that fulfills us. That is what fulfills us. Be it spiritually, emotionally, physically, monetarily. If you are poor, Christ is the only thing that will give you fulfillment in life. And if you know somebody like that, Christ is the only thing that will fulfill them. The only thing. Our responsibility as Christians is to point those people towards the gospel message of Christ, the good news. Next one, brokenhearted. As we talked about before, maybe you came in here today and you're completely brokenhearted. Now, you've got a good smile on your face. You're doing a good job of pretending, but the truth of the matter is you are completely broken. Aren't you thankful that Christ is the one that gives you the strength to get through the day? And if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go back and get the teaching where we talk about Christ in the wilderness, where the reason he can heal our broken heart is because he went and suffered for us. Because what happens a lot of times when someone's brokenhearted... They turned it into the woe is me. No one ever has had it as bad as me. Christ has. And so therefore he can relate and he can heal. He can heal that broken heart you have. Now, do you know somebody that's broken hearted? I've done that. I've met many people that are broken hearted. And for many years, I tried to fix their problems. You're broken hearted because the relationship went down south. All right, so let's try to think of something to tell you. Um, maybe it'll work out. I'll give you false hope. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe he'll come back to you. Okay, well, that's not kidding. You'll find somebody good. Maybe you won't. I don't know. I'm not trying to be negative here, but we do this. We take someone's broken heart and we try to fix it. Someone is brokenhearted over a, a, a tragedy in their life. They lost a loved one. It's okay. You'll be okay. No, they're not okay. Their heart is broken. The only thing that can heal the broken heart is Christ. And just like you, if you're brokenhearted, the only thing that's going to get you through is Christ. Last one, liberty to the captives. Now, we don't want to admit this. Just be honest with yourself. Deep in the innermost part of your being, is there some sin that's got a hold of you? I mean, it's just gotcha. Now, we don't see it because, once again, on a Sunday morning, we all look good. Maybe even your close loved ones don't get it. But in the privacy of your heart, there's a sin that just has you. Aren't you thankful that Christ can give you liberty? See, it also works the other way. I've run into many people that have had problems, be it drinking, be it drugs, be it whatever. And the world throws money and programs at them to try to set them free. Christ is the only one that brings liberty to the captives. He's the only one. 
Sight of the blind, recovery of the sight of the blind. This is a tough one. Because you run into somebody who's just a good person generally. I've met some people that aren't saved that are more moral than people that are saved. They're just good neighbors, good people. But they don't know Christ. You just got to pray that their eyes and ears are open. That's all you can do. Live the life in front of them and pray their eyes and ears are open. Don't throw the burden on you. Live the life in front of them. Maybe it's you. And I don't mean blind in the sense of you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Christ. I'm saying blind in the sense of what God can do. See, I run into this a lot as Christians. I run into it myself where some situation pops up and I'll tell them, hey, why don't you pray about it? I'll pray about it, but I don't, I don't really think there's anything the Lord can do in this situation. Whoa. If he did the whole Jonah and the big fish thing, if he did the whole parting the Red Sea, if he could raise the dead, don't you think he can handle your little problem in northwest Ohio? Oh, I just don't think the Lord can do anything with this one. You're blind. You're putting God in a box. You're not allowing him to move. You're not allowing him to work. That's a lack of faith. Lord, help us to see that you can move. And the last one, maybe you're just burdened. Maybe you're carrying every burden on your shoulder. You're the one the family comes to when there's problems. You're the one everybody at work unloads on. You're the one that everybody comes to. You are just filled with burdens. You're worried about your kid. You're worried about your grandkid. You're worried about your aunt, your cousin, your uncle, your friend. We don't carry those burdens. Allow the Lord to do that. You're, you're, you're concerned about work tomorrow. You're concerned about work in a month. You're concerned about work in a year. I remember one time doing counseling with a couple, and they came in, and, and I tell you, God bless this woman. She really loved the Lord, but she was oppressed. And she was oppressed because she had things in the future, and I'm not exaggerating, things 10 years down the road she was already worrying about. And I just sat there thinking, I can't imagine carrying that burden on my shoulders where I'm already dreading and thinking about things a decade down the road, which is stealing the joy right now. Now that's extreme, but what difference is if it's a decade compared to a year, to a week, to a month, to a day, to an hour? Don't let that burden of oppression pull you down. You have liberty. You have liberty through Christ. And this is what the Lord has come to say. He's come to say, I've come to set you free. And I, and I don't care, whatever you're facing, it falls in that category. I, I'm going to guarantee it right now. Any person you run into is going to fall into one of those categories there in verse 18. It is. And now you have the answer. If you run into somebody who's poor, you know the answer. I'm going to give them the gospel of Jesus. If you run into somebody who's brokenhearted, you don't have to sit there and say, boy, what do I say to them? I, I can't imagine how difficult their life is. Look at all the difficulties they've gone through. Who am I to say anything? Because I, I haven't struggled like they have, so I don't say anything. No, you know how to, they're supposed to be healed. They're healed through Jesus. Somebody comes to you captive to sin, and it's, it overwhelms you. I don't, I don't, I'm not a trained counselor. I'm not a psychologist. What do I say to them? You give them the liberty of Jesus. Somebody comes to you that's just blind. You pray for them. Hope they have sight through Christ. You come to somebody who's burdened. As they burden, they're burdened. And they open up to you and you sit there and you say, I, I don't even know where to start. Their life is so overwhelming, I don't know where to start. It starts with the liberty of Christ. That's the beauty of this mission statement here in verse 18. Whatever problem you're facing, the answer is found there. And whatever person you run into in life, the answer is found there. That's the beauty of it. How simple is this? I've shared it with you numerous times before. One of my favorite passages is out of 2 Corinthians, the simplicity of Jesus. How simple is this? Whatever you're facing, whatever someone's facing, the answer is found in Christ. I've shared this story with you many times before, but um, bears repeating. When we used to do a Bible study over in our house in McClure, there was a guy that started coming out, and um, it was the first time he came, and he'd heard about the Lord. People had witnessed to him. They've talked to him. He came to the study. It really impacted him, and he really wanted to know what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. So him and I were talking one-on-one -on -one afterwards. We are just talking about Jesus and what Christ does, and he couldn't get past certain points. He just kept saying, are you saying 
But if I ask Christ to forgive me, all my sins are forgiven just like that. I said, yeah. He said, are you saying that if I accept Christ, I'm immediately saved and put into heaven, and I'm saved from hell no matter what I've done? I said, yeah. I remember him saying to this day, he goes, it's too easy. I said, that's the beauty of it. It's that easy. It's that simple. And same thing found in verse 18. Some people sit there and say, no, I'm sorry. The, the, The life they have is too complex, too burdened, too difficult, too dirty to be simply saved by Christ. No, it's not. That's the beauty of the Messiah. He comes in and preaches the gospel to the poor. He heals the brokenhearted, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed. Boy, the answer is simple. That's the beauty of Christ. And that's how Christ starts out his public ministry here in Nazareth, by saying, it's all about me, and I have the answers that what you're looking for. Marvin Kelly, if we can come forward here for the final song.